I'm so happy to be here in, in the early stages of this church. And so this morning I want to speak into some of the elements. Um, I know we're in the book of Acts, so that's even better for me. And, um, and I love that, this opportunity because um, I just believe that this is the beginning of something great in the city of Johannesburg and surrounding cities. Um, so last year, Sharon and myself, we, we traveled to Italy and um, it was our anniversary and we flew across to Rome. We had never explored Italy. We've explored just about every third world country you can imagine. Every type of vehicle to get everywhere. You know, when we, she was pregnant with our first child, we did the entire length of the Amazon River and I flew her out three weeks before she gave birth off of the boats. I mean, we were in the jungles and the, the far-flung corners of the earth, yes, but Italy, you know, France, Spain, Portugal, never. And so we flew to Italy and um, hadn't done much research on Rome or Venice, and I just, I did the wrong thing. I rented a car, like, it's called Overland Missions, you know, we always, overlanding. I should have done the train. It took me like seven hours to get to Venice in one day. It was the whole day gone, but... I was walking around Rome, and um, they said on the pamphlet, they said, go down to the Pantheon. Sounds like this famous place. So we were walking down and found the Pantheon in Rome, which is this amazing architectural design building. And, um, and on the inscription on this huge, it was the largest pillars in the world at the time when they built it, the largest pillars that held up the roof. It was this massive building. On the inscription on the roof, it says, To King Agrippa. And in the middle of the, of the square in the Pantheon, out of my guts, I just shouted at the top of my lungs a verse of Scripture that, that has echoed inside of me for nearly 27 years. And it's out of, Matthew, uh, out of Acts chapter 26. Paul is, is pulled before King Agrippa. And, and they're questioning him on his... Um, on his stand in Christianity and the, and the fact that he's a Roman and how he's, has, how he's you know, bringing a new religion in. And he gets to the end of his defense and he says to King Agrippa, he says, therefore, King Agrippa, I have been faithful to the heavenly vision. And I just, in my spirit, I shouted that in the, in the pantheon, therefore, King Agrippa, I too have been faithful to the heavenly vision. Because, I mean, you know, in life, you have a choice to live within the vision of what people have for you, or your economy has for you, or your, your what do you call it, what do you call this tax revenue people, the South African revenue, what SARS has for you. And SARS has a vision for you. Their vision is um, be non-confrontational, get a really nice, good well-paying job and pay your taxes and then just live out the rest of your life in South Africa and disappear. Don't cause any trouble. That's their vision. They're going to they're gonna propaganda you all day long and they're going to try and get you into that, into that um, flow. And um, likewise, parallel to our earthly callings is a calling that God has on your life. It's, an, it's a heavenly vision. It's a vision God has for you. And um, the omniscience of God is powerful. What it, what it is, is it, God can focus on the whole world at one time. 
but he can also focus all of his attention on you at the same time. And so he focuses on you today and gives you a heavenly vision. And so Paul, in the book of Acts, stands there and the early stages of the development of the church, he says, I have been faithful to the heavenly vision that God called him. And I too stand within those ranks of having fought in a war. You know, the greatest war that has ever been fought is that which is against the church. It's been 2,000 years, and you pioneering a church, people, you're, you're getting into, into the, the trenches of the greatest war that has ever been fought against the greatest currency, for the greatest currency that has ever been made, which is man, mankind. And so you're in this battle, and today we're going to share a little bit about the battle and how to equip yourself and be prepared for, for this, um, this life. One thing I've learned is never to underestimate the new creation. You know, when God does His work upon you, He creates you, and He calls you a new creation. Um, you know that um, when God created man, He said He created man in His image, which is something very powerful but controversial to, in opposition to most religions. Man was created in the image of God. In that same verse in, in, in Genesis, it said, and then he blessed man. And the actual word blessed in Hebrew means, means he got down on one knee before man. It's the Hebrew word to bow down on one knee. So when God made man in his image, he bent down on a knee to bless him. So... Um, so highly did he esteem his work. And even today, as you, when you acknowledge Jesus as, as was, by faith, you become a new creation. The new creation. And I can never underestimate that work. You know, I was, um, I was about 20 years ago, I, I met a musician by the name of Andre Kemper in South Africa. Do you remember him? You, wouldn't, you probably weren't even born then, but... So he... He was with me, and he wrote a song when he was with me, and it was a song that, that was um, a song called, I Will Serve No Foreign Gods. If you remember that song, I Will Serve No Foreign Gods. Anyway, you remember it. So he wrote this song, I will serve, and I was there when he wrote it. And um, Andre was a concert pianist at the time, never seen the light of day. You know what I mean? Pale skin, indoors. You know, no muscle, not a rugby player. I mean, he's a pianist. And I said to him, I said, Andre, you need to get out of this room. Get out and come down with me. Come with me down to the, to the trans sky and the sky and preach in villages and do something for God. And I was, I was profiling him. And um, it was two years later, I was in Cambodia preaching on the Thai Cambodia border that I heard about a tribe in Burma called the Korin, and they were a rebel army fighting the Burmese uh, government forces. And so, and I heard that they were a Christian tribe, which, in, you know, in the Southeast Asian context, it's very, very rare. So I said, well, I've got to go find these people. So off I went to the north of Thailand, camped out there till I found a, a Korin 
interpreter, persuaded him to smuggle into Burma with me. Went up the Selween River from China, dressed in like a Burmese, hiked into the mountains. But three weeks in, I find the Burmese rebel forces, the Korean rebel forces, get brought in as an evangelist, and I start my meetings in the jungles to bring revival to the Korean. So I remember this, my interpreter, standing next to my interpreter, and I said to him, I said, just get them to sing a song in Korean, just a local song, any song. They said, yeah, sing a Korean. So they start off singing in Korean. I will serve no foreign gods, written by Andre Kempen in a piano, in a room somewhere down in the Eastern Cape with me. I was like, I will never underestimate people again. I mean, Andre, the pale-faced concert pianist, got to the Korean before I did. But, um, you know, God, God puts his hand upon you and, and then does a work in you. And, um, and that work will touch nations and people's lives and change the destinies of people. And so today, I'm going to set in order some things in your life, preparing you for this, this trip, this thing, this, this pool of Bethesda. Remember the pool of Bethesda? God stirred this pool. And every time they jumped in, people got healed in the Bible. This, this place. And how I'm going to do this today is I'm going to frame for you the, the tabernacle of Solomon and show you something that equipped the people for this tabernacle. So what happened in the Old Testament is the, the jurisdiction that God allowed himself on earth so understand the, the Bible is a legal transaction that God did between himself and mankind. This is our covenant, our covenant, our legal transaction that God gave us. So the whole Old Testament is a, prepar a legal preparation for a legitimate work that would be in, in, in Jesus. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. Had to be a virgin because the seed, the, the seed of man was corrupt through, through the rejection and rebellion of Adam. And the nature of sin was passed through the seed, through the sperm of man. And the virgin would be the end, the conceiving of the virgin would be the end of man's seed and the beginning of a new seed, a new life. That's why we're called new creations. We are the, we are the result of that virgin birth where there's no Adamic seed in, him, in us, totally perfect in his image. And so the jurisdiction God gave himself upon the earth was within the boundaries of this tabernacle. And everything that, had, that happened in there was a picture of what was going to happen at the cross and at our redemption. So he equips stewards to steward within the boundaries of that tabernacle. Stewards, ambassadors, people who would be the foundation of himself his work in the earth he puts some limits upon these people and i want to show you what they are some of them are quite funny but they they're very important so he tells aaron the sons of aaron which were the levites were those who were going to administer his presence in the tabernacle he says this here's what you can't be to serve in this realm he says, speak to Aaron saying, 
No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of God. So number one, couldn't have a defect. Then he, des then he describes the defects, and I want, to, I want you to see them. For any man who has a defect shall not approach a man who is blind. Firstly, a blind man couldn't be blind and be in the tabernacle. To be part of the move of God and a mighty move of God, you cannot be blind. You cannot have no vision. You can't have your vision tampered with. If today you're, you're the energy, the caffeine in your spirit has been robbed through disappointment, it's tempered with your vision and your insight and the dream that you have and the inspiration that it puts within you touches your insight, your vision. A steward of the kingdom must be a man and a woman of vision. And you must recognize vision and agree with it. Some people are pessimists. You know, I, I don't think, I really, you can't be a pessimist and be a Christian. But you get them. We get them all the time. Pessimists. Naysayers. Pessimists are people who've had their vision just tempered with. And whenever a visionary gets up and says, I have a vision, they're going to find every reason not to participate. Or every reason not to believe it's possible. So God wants to touch your vision today. He wants to renew you. He wants to, he wants to let your eyes be awakened and inside. And suddenly you don't need outside elements to wake you up like Red Bull or, or five-hour energy or any of, those, any of those caffeinated drinks to somehow stir you up. There'll be an energy, a zeal of the Lord of hosts inside of you that will just burn and generate so many ideas, so much creation as you get closer to the Creator that you'll be unlimited and unpredictable. Imagine if you were Imagine if we were a predictable church. I mean, how boring is that? You'd be gone. You wouldn't even be here today if we were just predictable. The roadmap is so, so clean and, and perfect. No, anything can happen from this place. It's like the early church. When they gathered at the book of, at the Solomon's porch, they all gathered together after, after the day of Pentecost. And he said, God indwelt us. He filled us. He changed us. He put his power and his presence in us. Now, what do we do? Nobody had any great ideas at that point. We don't know. Just gather together and let God manifest every time. And I know it'll work out. They didn't know that, they were, that Thomas, you know Thomas, doubting Thomas. Thomas would be the, one of the greatest missionaries of the early church. You know, he left after he discovered that Jesus was truly a, a resurrected. And he went to India. Did you know that? A part of India today, a whole region, I'm talking millions and millions of people, are followers of Thomas, the missionary. Christians today of Thomas. I think it is um, Goa, the region of Goa in India, just because of his trip, because of that, the unpredictability of his power in that time. Okay, cannot be blind. One who is, has a marred face 
or a limb too long. <laughs> it's hilarious how they say this. You can't have a marred face. If you were to serve as an ambassador of the king of kings within the tabernacle, you couldn't have a marred face. A face that describes the pain of something that happened before. You've got to find your healing. You've got to get in his presence and let him change your countenance. You can't just carry it into the future. You can't just be here with your problems that you had yesterday and just take them with you everywhere you go. You will be left behind. The move of God will move past you. Cannot with a marred face. Fix the face. The spirit changes, the face glows. It just glows. And so today I'm just telling you, what God is preparing to do in your midst through your church is amazing. And he's going to do it through you. So fix the marred face. Limb too long. Couldn't have a limb too long. Some, some limp. You know, some people, you can see them there. You can see their limbs. It's not just talking physically. This is a whole anthropology here. This is your whole behavior of life. Some people walk, and when you see their walk, it's, it's, it's not balanced. Something's out of whack. I mean, you know, I'm a visionary, and um, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't boast in any vision. People call me a visionary. I just do what I'm told. This is basically it. But they, they hail me, some mighty missionary, and all my team, Kiron's here, they know I'm not anything fantastic. I mean, I was crying yesterday when we lost the rugby too, you know. Um, I was consoling Adrian, of course, he was howling. <laughs> but um, But, you know, being propped up as a visionary, everyone with vision comes and tells me their vision. And they get these crazy, crazy people, crazy ideas, ideas that are completely limb too long, totally out of balance, totally built on insecurity and fear and, and a history of failure. And you've you got to balance yourself. You gotta, you're part of a team. This team is going to be balanced. Amen? They're not going to be walking all crazy. This is going to be a crazy church. Limb too long. This is going to be a strong, balanced church. Amen. You're hearing me today. Ah, then it says, a man who has ever had a broken foot could not serve in the, in the, in the tabernacle. And a man who has ever had a broken hand. The two things that will make this church great. The broken foot re, re, uh, describes a person who used to travel. A person who used to move, but now you've broken your foot. Your traveling, your movement has been stunted by, by failure, by memories of, of a past battle, lost battle. And you stop going. Stop going. You actually only travel for your own good. You only travel, you only spend your money on, your, on yourselves. 
You only, you only do what benefits you. That's a person with a broken foot. No, this church is not going to have a broken foot. This church is going to travel. It's going to go. You know, um, um, I was sitting on a beach in, in Sinsel West, if you know where that is. little surf spot in the Eastern Cape. We were surfing. Three of us were surfing on a weekend. And it was me and two of my young disciples. So my one disciple, Brenton, his name, he says, I wrote a song this morning. I wrote a song this morning. I want you to listen to it. He wrote the song, Lord, Reign in Me. Have you sung that song? Lord, reign in me, reign in your power. Brenton Brown wrote it in Sinsa West with us on a little beach. And that song traveled the world. You know, you can, you can, you can have a broken foot. When your foot's broken, everything you do never travels. It goes nowhere. You know, the, the church predictably has a wind about it, a mighty rushing wind. It predictably moves. It predictably has a, has a tornado about it that changes lives, nations, and multinations. This is the prophecy of your church. This is where you're going. This is where it's going. It's traveling. Okay? So no broken foot. No broken hand. The broken hand is key to your growth. Key to not only your own personal economy, but the economy of your church and the economy of the move of God. A broken hand is a generous, the generosity of your spirit has been broken. When, when the generosity of your life has been messed with by some fool, some selfish person, some um, person with a limb too long, they, they, they took your money, they, they, they were not good stewards of the kingdom, they lied to you, and you got, your hand got broken somehow along the way and now you're nervous your hand got broken by the south african economy that lied to you and said your that your personal inflation is at this level you'll never you'll never break your finances you'll never the, the economy of this country lying to you all the time it's not the language of faith the believers of the church were never limited by money they were limited by the vision that they had. Therefore, King Agrippa, I have been, not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. Therefore, King Agrippa, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. Not, therefore, King Agrippa, my economy did not support me, and I got all kinds of reasons now why I didn't go there. Vision creates wealth. If, you, if your hand is broken, your economy is impacted in every way. And so, this is not going to be a church with a broken hand. Amen. Amen. Just get, put the hand before the altar. I want to tell you, every element here can come before the throne of God and find healing instantly. If you want to hold on to your broken hand, your broken foot, scar face, 
and limb too long. If you want to hold on to it, you can. You are privileged to do that. But if you want to come before the throne of God, He will take out in one moment every limitation of the flesh because you are in Him, the new creation, the mystery of the church. You are it. So the hand, if broken, will stunt your economy, which stunts the economy of the church. And I am a personal testimony of God's financial blessing upon the endeavors of the kingdom of God. One who is hunchback or a dwarf. <laughs> it's an interesting one. You know, the dwarf side of it is this. Is things dwarf the church. You see it all day long. You see a potential, but then you never rise to it. People's potential. As leaders, we deal with people all day long. You can sit before them, and as a leader, you can see. You can see where they're going. You can see where they could go. You communicate it in words. And you try and strip off people's lives all the limits of man's opinion. So that they can get to the place where they're believing what God says and get to this destiny. But they hold on to man's opinion because our worldview is molded often by the cities and the places we come from. Until you find redemption from that. And then your worldview constrains you into a me method of behaviors that dictate your potential. So let's use Paul as an example. Paul, Paul when he got saved in, in, in the road to Damascus, God actually says to the prophet, he says, go find the man on the street called Straight, the man Saul of Tarsus. So God actually calls him Saul from the city of Tarsus. Now, you know, you know, if you, if you refer to someone by location, you're saying more than just saying something. Like if I say Somerset West, or I say um, Cape Town, or I find some redneck corner of, of, of South Africa, like Allowell North. <laughs> you know, if I say, oh, Philip from Allowell North, enough said. You know what Ellaville North people are like. You know, or I got stuck in Ellaville North one time. I remember that. But, but you see, when God refers to him by a location, he's, he's saying Paul was of a mindset and a behavior of the town of Tarsus. The move of God hits Saul. Halfway through the book of Acts, his name changes from Saul of Tarsus to Paul, apostle to the Gentiles. No limits. Strips every limit of a Tarsian. No limits. Everything's gone. So we have dwarfs in the kingdom of God. This church is not going to be a dwarf. I'm just telling you. It's not going to be a dwarf. You're going to rise to your fullest potential. And he and this eldership is going to do everything to strip off all of the redneck Christian behaviors that you have. Is that a word in South Africa? Redneck. No, Roynek. That, that's a white racist thing, isn't it? I don't know. Um, then he says, a man who has a defect in one eye. 
or eczema. Um, have you ever, you know when you touch somebody, you feel them, they, 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 they have a texture, they don't just have a smell, they have a texture and, and a person with eczema is, not, is a texture that you don't want to feel. He says a person who has a texture that's not palatable, that's not, that's not good to the touch, um, should not be in the kingdom, in the, in, the, in the ambassadorship, in the front row, in the front foot forward of the church. Um, it says one eye or eczema. Again, one eye referring to the vision that you have and the texture that you have. There's a feeling. When people feel anchor church, they must have a feeling. They must feel welcomed. They must feel the presence of God. They must feel the unlimited potential that He has placed on you. They must feel it off you. They mustn't feel some small-minded, uh, narrow-minded. Like the one guy said, some people are so narrow-minded, they can see through a keyhole with both eyes. <laughs> some narrow-minded behaviors. They mustn't feel this. They mustn't feel any racial tension or, or um, discrimination, marginalization of any man. The gospel levels all playing fields. All are welcome. All are welcome. This is the texture of our church. It's the texture of the apostles, of the men of God that carry the ambassadorship. Okay, the last one, the funniest one, it says... He cannot be a eunuch. Now the one translation actually says this. He must have stones. <laughs> it literally says it in the Bible. He's got to have stones. You want to get into the fight? You've got to have stones. This is going to be a church with stones. <laughs> That's just figurative, ladies. There's no, don't go out and get sex changes now on me. <laughs> um, you know, they never told me. That, you know, when I, was become, when I started Overland Missions, I, I knew that we were getting into a fight. I knew that generations have fought for the, for the ignorant of this world to stay ignorant. And, but there was no book for me to read. There was no manual. It wasn't easy to predict some of the pain that it was going to take to win. And, you know, 1996, I was, I must have been 26 years old or something. 20, I was about 27. I buried my first missionary. He had five children and a wife. And I buried him in Zambia, America. My second missionary, I turned the machines off in Iowa City, Iowa, 21-year-old girl, as we ushered her into the heavenlies. At about 35 years old, I carried the body of a crocodile-eaten body of one of my boys out of the gorges of the Zambezi. I remember sitting on the gorges, this was... A, a flurry of deaths had to come in. And I gathered this body of a South African 
who worked for me, one of my drivers, expedition leaders, missionaries, 25 years old, and um, gathered his body in, and I sat there and I said to the Lord, I said, I can't do this anymore. Because his father, who was a missionary in Mozambique, had just grabbed my ankles three hours before and kneeled down and cried his son's name when I told him we found his body. And he cried his son's name, and I just stood there just... There's nothing in you that... There's no strength that man can give you for those things. And I got to the bottom and I pulled his body out, and I said, I can't do this. I'm done. I'm done with this. And um, you're asking too much of me. And I remember the anointing of the Holy Spirit came on me. The anointing, the presence of God, the one thing that the church, the body of Christ values and embraces and secures and doesn't tamper with the anointing the most precious thing we have the anointing of the holy spirit came into that place and empowered me and um and gave me vision made me see that this battle is way bigger than this minutiae of this stuff this is historic to our cause this is this is the pain that the church has suffered for two thousand years I couldn't give up because of this. But now I must stop the message that would go and liberate entire nations, tribes, and kingdoms because of one battle that I've lost. You see, stones. If I was weak, if I, if I had not con pulled myself together, understanding with vision that the kingdom is more than this. If you think that you're going to leave church, leave this church because you didn't like the song or the way that the preacher preached or you're going to leave the team because of some stupid little excuse. It's foolishness. It's not at the, at the altitude. That's not, it's a decision at the wrong altitude. You need to make decisions at the altitude of the move of God in the nations, or the move of His Spirit. And the little things, they don't distract you anymore. The little things are too small for you. Some, I get pulled into meetings sometimes and to, to arbitrate some, some issue. And I will literally say, it's too small for us, this, this problem. I'm not even coming to it. This is a two people decision that needs to be made is too small to be an issue because people make huge issues of non-issues because they're making decisions at the wrong altitude so this is going to be a church with stones amen you're going to you're going to you're going to win you're going to you're going to you're going to um you're going to stand the test of time you know, um, this year, um, actually my 27th year in ministry, um, I saw some huge breakthroughs. 27 years though. <laughs> 27 years of working, never tiring, never questioning. I never question my call. I don't run around every day saying, Lord, I'm leaving now because there's no wins. But this year we had some wins. For me, the wins are, you know, the wins for me are not the miracles. We've had people raised from the dead just two weeks ago. Man raised from the dead. Last year, a guy 
a Baptist preacher came to one of our teachings, and he was a Reformed theologian. And they were doing a meeting in America at the time called Strange Fire, where the Reformed theologians were attacking the Pentecostal church, saying, signs, miracles, and wonders, they've, they were only for the apostles, and they, they ended with the 12, and everything today is just fanaticism. And I was so mad at that. Because it's fun in your healthcare system where you have a hospital down the road and you have your doctors and your psychologists all helping you. But where the villages are, where they don't have hospitals, don't tell them that, don't come up with some homegrown theology and dump it off in a village where they don't have a hospital. So we're preaching it and at the same time they were doing the conference, this Baptist pastor was in the meetings. Two weeks later, his daughter died in childbirth in a village. And he was a dignified African Zambian man. And I just love the guy. Um, so at about midnight she dies. Five o'clock in the morning in the villages. What happens in a village when somebody dies is they just get firewood. The village all brings firewood to the house. Huge, big. And they start burning fires. And it's the sign of a funeral. So they'll start burning fires. So every, all the villagers from afar would come and sit to mourn. And they'll start the morning. So they started burning the fires. And at 5 a.m., this pastor said, he remembered from two weeks ago when we had been teaching the Word at the book of Acts. He said, well, I'm going to say that the Bible says if I lay my hands upon the sick, they will recover. He went into his daughter, laid her hands on her, and she sat straight up. And that baby was born perfect three days later. And she was dead. So he came to me about three, two weeks later to declare um, the story, because, um, you know, um, it, was just, it was just a story until he was face-to-face with us, telling us, and it's amazing. But it's not the miracles that, that keep us in the game. Um, the, um, this year, a big win for me was we had, we've been, we've been ministering to the chiefs of sub-Saharan Africa and the kings. They've just been coming to us. Last year in Angola, the, I was driving into Angola, our office in Angola, and I get a phone call. It was two years ago. The king of Angola phones me. He says, man of God. <laughs> you know when, when you get that, man of God, I have to have you at my side. I cannot rule my kingdom without you. You have to come to me. King Mbandu, king, king Mbandu of the Mbunda, the Mbunda tribe. So next thing, the Mbunda king is at our base, living with us, getting equipped. That's the Mbunda. The Ndebele king from Pretoria, two times at our base, flying in. All the kings, the chiefs of southern Africa. And this year, we, we've been gazetted by the government of Zambia to put one, to train one pastor, one chaplain, they call it a pastor, and put it alongside every chief, 280 chiefs the most powerful people in the nation. We still live in their traditional realms up there. It's still traditional leadership. And um, they sit not just as an advisory, but sit on the council, decision-making council within the tribes. It's massive. You don't even, you can't find this in missionary books. You go find it, that kind of influence. We're having some huge breakthroughs. But it's 27 years in. You know, we didn't leave along the way. We're still standing. Still preaching. And I'll close with this today. I've had many temptations. Well, 
It's for me, it's not even a temptation, but many opportunities to lay aside the preaching of the gospel for philanthropy. I have well drilling rigs. We support kids' education. We do all kinds of farming, agricultural things all over Africa. We do massive work amongst the people. I mean, it's not that I'm against philanthropy. But I've had opportunity. People say that if, you, if you're just a little less confrontational with the Bible, the funding's going to come your way. This is what they lie to you. It's a lie. It's never the truth. They say, don't be such a preacher. Call yourself, change your website. First thing, the first thing I'll tell you. Change the website. Make it more palatable for the unbelievers. It's not true. The unbelievers are looking for leaders. Looking for people persuaded. I had many opportunities. I have never stopped preaching the gospel. I have never said I have do two things, gospel and something. It's gospel only. I preach this gospel and I do philanthropic work until the gospel has its full effect in people's lives and I leave them to, them, to the gospel. Preach the gospel. Number one, number, lastly, embrace the anointing. The church... The early church was a church of the presence of God. It was a church of His presence. And that's foundational. That's it. That's the, that's the be-all. I, I preached in a church in Nashville recently. Four services. Massive church. 17 minutes per service they gave me. 17 minutes. The preaching was 17 minutes. I pulled the pastor aside. I said, are you crazy? You understand the propaganda coming against your church every day, 24 hours a day, propaganda to, to, to distract them. And you give me 17 minutes, basically introduction. Then my introduction is 17 minutes, if you don't know me. You know what I mean? I've got to tell you who I am. 17 minutes gone. And I said, number one. Number two, I said, you're the first time visiting your church is the most important person in your church, not the Holy Spirit. And there's a danger. Make it him. People will come because you make him number one. Not the first time visitor. Presence of God. People will come because of that anointing. They will come because of his, his presence in this place. And make it number one in your life. I'll close with my last story. I was a, I was a soldier too in the South African army. And I fought in a battle called Quito Carnival. It was uh, nine months in Angola. And we never showered for the first four, so hence, hence I'm a little rough around the edges. But I do shower every day if I can. But um, anyway, we did this one battle, New Year's Eve 1988. And um, it was interesting because we were outnumbered. There was three, 300 Russian T-54 tanks in three brigades. Us South African military, we only had 11 tanks. And, um, but they lied to us, our rank, and told us, you'll never die. They said, South African troops don't die in the field. So we believed them. <laughs> you know, we were just these little conscripts. We totally believed that we would never die. We didn't know that 45,000 Cubans were sitting other side there. And there were only 300 fighting South African troops. And the rest were UNITA rebels. And we had 30 rattles. And so we, we attacked this base on, on New Year's Eve, 1988. But what we did was we, we put pamphlets out 
for the day before in Portuguese. We flew them over and they dropped pamphlets on the enemy. And we picked up the pamphlets in Portuguese that said, we'll give you one last chance to go home to your families. <laughs> 300 troops, 11 tanks. We'll give you one last chance to go home to your families. And um, then that night we put up loud hailers. It was New Year's Eve. And we played music from about 10 to midnight. And closer to midnight, it's all orchestral music. And as it got closer, they sped up the music. So it was all sped up. So they were like sitting there listening to this music. And what are these guys doing? This massive army is invading us. And our propaganda was so good that when we rolled onto their bases about 2 in the morning, their tanks were empty and they'd run for their lives. We just rolled and took over the base. First, first main, main attack. See, the propaganda of the enemy upon you. He'll drop pamphlets on you all day long. He's trying to win you. He's trying to get you into his camp. But the Spirit of God, the anointing, the move of the Spirit of God is for you. It's in you. It is the center of your life. Even though you, you may all day long receive propaganda from the system and you're only in church for one day, one portion of a day, you need to receive the propaganda of heaven all of your life. Receive it, be like me. I'm too thick to listen to all the voices. I just listen to one. Simplify your life and just take the word of God as your word and absorb that. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, we thank you today for your move in this place. Thank you for the leaders that you put here. Thank you for Johannesburg, Gauteng, South Africa, Lord. I just pray, Lord, as I stand here this morning, that, Holy Ghost, that you would touch every life in this place by your power. I pray that nobody would walk out of here the same way they walked in, Father. If you came in this morning and your life is not right with God, and if you died today, you knew if, you, if this was your last day, and um, you're not right, your right, life is not right with God, you can make right with him today. He is Father. He is Abba. He's the one that's in the house. You can make right with him. It's very easy. He's welcoming you in. If you've backslidden today and you're, you've been walking away from God, he's welcoming you back. His presence is here.